Enjoy the future, folks. Here it is right now. Pedersen, Besser, and Hughes. It's Besser with Pedersen. Pedersen shoots, scores! Elias Pedersen, first career hat-trick overtime winner. Quinn Hughes makes a quick dash down the near side. Takes the puck behind the net, banks it to himself. Out the near side, Hughes shoots, stopped by Quick. Rebound, they score! Brock Besser! as well because Quinn Hughes has his first point in the NHL but it was all set up by the dynamic play of number 43 in blue Welcome into Canucks and Pucks. I'm your host, Matthew Zader, for this great uh, first day after a week of uh, Canucks training camp. Um, we had last episode, we talked about training camp coming up. This week, we're talking about training camp actually happened and a lot of stuff happening over the last week. Bunch of scrimmages, a uh, bunch of players uh, playing well, uh, Zach McCune being one of them. Uh, very happy to see him play and uh, be in you know, an example for all the other guys coming in just to kind of, you know, if you want to have a spot, you just have to work for it and, uh, you know, work hard. And the thing is about McEwen is he started out the season uh, in Utica, came up uh, every game he played and came up here. Uh, he worked hard, uh, played a solid game, and now he could be on the cusp of actually making the, the lineup for game one against Minnesota Wild on August 2nd. And it's un, you know un, unfathomable that he actually would make a, the lineup after being you know technically a, a depth player that is a black ace part of the black ace group and but he, you know I credit him he's come into camp um, worked hard for a spot not saying that uh, oh you know I I probably won't make it so I won't work very hard he has worked extremely hard very proud of uh, him coming into camp uh, with that. Uh, same thing, Brock Besser after the trade rumors. He's come into uh, camp playing really well. Looks like his shot is back, which is very exciting to see for Canucks fans to actually see that happen. Um, hopefully, he's going to be coming in uh, motivated and play against a wild team that he's traditionally played well against. He scored his first NHL goal against them. Uh, and he also will probably have, he won't have, you know, have the. You know, he'll go to Minnesota and have his friends and family watch him. But uh, you know, he's he's gonna be motivated to play against a, a team he's probably he probably followed his and when he was a, a kid. So uh, it's exciting to see him. We've seen Elias Pettersson. Uh, he's played, you know, Pettersson-like uh, between the legs pass uh, after stumbling and uh, to start the rush in the scrimmage yesterday too, um, and that ridiculous pass to McEwen. Um, on that one tower McEwen had. Um, that was great to see Pedersen do that as well. So uh, it's very exciting to see uh, the top players actually playing, you know, well. And the um, only guy that's kind of fell off a bit is Vertanen. And hopefully he can turn it around this coming week and, uh, you know, push forward. Um, yeah, uh, that's basically the big Canucks news. Um, biggest thing too, Jack Rathbone was signed. Um, after kind of some doubts that he would, that he wouldn't sign maybe, but it was great to see him sign up and um, he won't be able to play in the playoffs coming up, but uh, we will see him in Vancouver at some point and next season he will be a big 
uh, competitor for those lineup spots in training camp uh, coming up in well, you know, the next season, whenever that starts. Um, but it's great to see Jack Rathbone signed, and he's going to be a very key defenseman going forward. And, uh, you know, the thing is, is he's he's a great puck mover. He's a great, has a great shot. He's one probably a, his skating is really high end too. So that's the thing about uh, the Canucks that need, they need to do is they have to build a defense around Quinn Hughes. And um, to play that type of style, have more defense than hit just him to move the puck at that level. I mean, he, you're not, I'm not saying that Rathbone will be as proficient as, as, as Hughes in that regard, but he will be a big asset to this blue line going forward. Um, that's the biggest news. We'll, we'll be getting into a lot more discussion about the return to play. Uh, more Canucks uh, talk as we go through this episode. I've got three great guests coming up. Uh, first, uh, very excited to be joined by Brendan Batchelor of Sportsnet 650, Canucks voice on uh, that. Um, you know, Canucks fans hear him all the time. It was great, and it was, it was great to have him on the show. We had a great discussion about the Minnesota Wild Series coming up, and uh, Mack and Hewen, and the different, uh, you know, the line combinations that may be going forward as we get started with hockey again in Canucks Hockey. I am then joined by uh, writer at the Hockey Writers, uh, Eddie Jones, um, with, he's an Anaheim Ducks writer, he's also part of the NHL draft team over at Hockey Writers. He does some great work over there with the uh, coverage of the Ducks and of the draft. Uh, very, very happy to have him on the show. And then finally, I was talking with Thomas Anderson of the Canuck Way. He was a great, a great talk, a discussion with a couple of the Canucks prospects coming up in uh, in Will Lockwood and uh, Zach, um, Mike Michaelis. So uh, that's going to be great. To it was great talking with him and getting his insights on a very rising star in the writing world. Um, you can catch his work on the Canuck Way as well, Eddie Jones at Hockey Writers, and of course, you always hear Brendan Batchelor on Sportsnet 650. So uh, we'll get that started with uh, Brendan Batchelor coming up. And welcome back into Canucks and Pucks. I am very happy to be joined by the voice of the Canucks on Sportsnet 650, Brendan Batchelor. I'm very happy to have him on the show. Uh, thanks, Brendan, for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, so uh, biggest talk. Uh, like we're one week into training camp. Uh, I guess training camp 2.0 uh, now. And uh, biggest talk is uh, Zach McEwen uh, making a big splash at training camp. Uh, what do you think are his... Uh, chances of making the lineup for game one against the Minnesota wild and uh, what he's doing in training camp so far. Yeah. Well, right now uh, I think it's a pretty good chance. He's had a, a really good camp. He's uh, found a spot on that third line. I guess if you want to call it that with Antoine Roussel uh, and Adam Gaudet in place of Jake for uh, And, you know, he's the only guy that scored in both of the evening scrimmages is Zach McEwen. Uh, he, he seems to have come in really motivated, which you can understand as a guy that certainly wouldn't have been guaranteed a spot in the lineup with the number of healthy forwards they have. But um, yeah, you know, I've, I've liked his camp. I think he's been one of the better forwards uh, through the first week of camp and uh, fully deserving of being 
put on that line right now. Uh, we'll have to wait and see how the rest of camp goes. But, you know, if I was placing a bet right now, I would say that it's likely that uh, he is in the opening night lineup on August 2nd when the Canucks start their series against the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, that's, uh, I've been really impressed with McEwen ever since he came up the first time. And uh, he scored five goals in the regular season. And, I mean, technically this is a new season. And uh, everyone's saying, well, Vertanen deserves a spot because how he played this year. But, I mean, the thing is, it's a new thing. And he had to come in, uh, you know, motivated as well, not say, not thinking that he just has a spot in the lineup. And McEwen's definitely uh, outperformed him and pretty much a similar role in Vertanen uh, and McEwen play similar games. Yeah, a little bit different just because obviously I think Jake has more offensive upside. Mm -hmm. But when you're going into a playoff series, you know, the coaching staff is going to want someone they can trust. They're going to want a guy that makes the right play when he gets the puck along the wall in his own zone, you know, makes the, the good play to help the team exit the zone, doesn't turn the puck over uh, in the neutral zone or in areas of the ice like that. And, you know, right now, that's obviously been the biggest knock on Jake Vertanen's game to this point is, you know, yeah, he, he can score goals. Certainly he was on pace to score 20 this year. And he has the speed uh, and the skating ability. But, you know, in terms of hockey sense in his own zone, that's somewhere he still has to grow a lot as a player. And I think you touch on something interesting there where, you know, you talk about certainly he had a great season. So you think that would be deserving of a spot in the lineup. But Travis Green isn't looking at what happened during the regular season because that's, what, five months ago now. He's got to figure out who are the best 12 forwards that are playing well right now that allow him to win a playoff series because, you know, it's pretty well been an entire offseason since the Canucks played, a, uh, you know, a, a meaningful game. And, you know, we see it all the time with young players that often they'll take big strides during the offseason and come back and look a whole lot better than they did at the end of the previous season in training camp. And that's what Zach McEwen looks like to me right now. He looks like a guy that, uh, you know, A, he's really motivated, uh, and B, he, he seems to have improved and, and gained more of a comfort level with uh, playing with NHL players and, and practicing with the group and scrimmaging. And so, um, you know, that's what I look at there is, you know, J yeah, Jake Vertanen almost scored 20 goals. He had a good season, but if he's not the best guy to play in, uh, you know, a couple of weeks here when the series gets underway, then he's not going to be in the lineup. And, and it really just, just boils down to that. And, you know, if I'm Jake Furtanen right now, I'm hugely motivated going into this second week of training camp to try and prove all the doubters wrong and show that I can be, uh, I, I can be a guy that can be reliable defensively while also helping this team offensively in a depth role on that third line. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's what Vertanen's got to do. I mean, he did do that in, uh, you know, this last training camp where he did improve as training camp went along and then during the regular season. But, I mean, you know, like you said before, it's you got to go with the best 12 forwards and there's no time to go, you know, two games, three games. Okay, we'll, we'll like ease into it. I mean, by that time, you're out of the series. Jake Furtanen started uh, the first training camp of this season back in September by being bumped to uh, the Utica skating group because That's they didn't right. like his level of conditioning coming in. And, you know, certainly he worked well through camp and, and grew and improved. And by the time the regular season came around, he was doing a lot better. But you're right. There isn't that time and there isn't that opportunity for the coach to give a player 
the benefit of the doubt or to say, you know what, he'll warm up once we get him going. No, you need your guys firing on all cylinders uh, the moment the puck drops on August 2nd. And, um, you know, there's still plenty of time, so I'm not willing to write off Jake Furtano no. as an option in the lineup by any means. But, you know, if I was picking 12 forwards that are going to play and you, you know, said I had to pick right now, yeah. he's not one of the guys that I'm picking. Yeah, I, I, I'm on that same boat. I mean, uh, when you get to the, you know, game game one, uh, who do you think the third and fourth lines are um, coming in right now, like as of this point? Yeah, well, I would go with Roussel, Goddard, and McEwen as that third line yeah. again because McEwen's been playing well. They seem to have had some good chemistry. I thought Roussel in, uh, in the second scrimmage stood out a little bit more, uh, seems to be rounding into form, and he's another guy who – you know, an extra few months to rest and rehab his injured knee are certainly not going to hurt him. Uh, so he's a guy that could do well. And then the fourth line, it'll kind of depend on Brandon Sutter and, uh, you know, his, his level of health because he's, you know, missed a few sessions here through camp. Um, so, you know, if, if I'm, I'm picking right now just because of the fact that Sutter hasn't been 100% healthy, uh, it's probably a fourth line of Tyler Mott, uh, Jay Beagle and Louis Erickson at this point. Uh, you know, there is still a lot to be determined with Michael Furlan, who took part in uh, his first scrimmage and in the second scrimmage that they've had at camp and, um, you know, got through the scrimmage, which, first of all, is the most important thing for him as a guy that had all those concussion issues. So yeah. uh, he laid a couple of hits. Didn't look like he was in tip-top shape, but, you know, he hasn't played games in so long that you're not going to expect that. So he got through that scrimmage. If he can continue to progress and grow, then he could certainly be an option on that fourth line as well, either in place of Erickson or Mott, depending on, um, you know, the look you like there and, and how guys are doing in camp and who you'd rather have out as a penalty killer. Um, yeah. but, but at the same time, Mott and Erickson are both guys that kill penalties. So they're both guys that, that – you know, the coaching staff might want to keep in the lineup, which then begs the question of Michael Furlan being an option on that third line. And then maybe you're talking about someone like Roussel or even McEwen being bumped out. But uh, as things sit right now, I would go uh, Roussel, Gaudet, McEwen, Mott, Beagle, uh, and Erickson. Yeah, I mean, what's nice that Travis Green has is a lot of options in the in those third and fourth lines, depending on what look he wants to, to have. And um, I mean, it's a, it's a good thing to have, especially when you need to maybe change up, change it up a bit, put McEwen in when you need maybe a bit more physical presence. And I mean, and that's what, that's very good luxury for green to have coming into the playoffs. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a good problem to have, but at the same time, I don't envy him because, yeah. you know, the decisions he makes in that spot are going to be hugely you know, pivotal to how the Canucks do because, yeah, you know, you know that the top two lines are going to play well for the most part. You expect that they're going to produce off offense, but oftentimes in playoff series, the difference comes down to who has the better third line or who has the better fourth line because the top players show up and they're ready to play. So, you know, as much as we look at these decisions and you go, well, you know, whether Vertanen's in the lineup or not may not be as critical because you've still got Pedersen, you've still got Toffoli and Horvat and Miller and Besser and all of those guys. Uh, these actually might be the decisions that make or break the series where uh, if you need a clutch goal from down your lineup, maybe Jake Vertanen is a guy you do need to have in the lineup because he has more offensive upside. 
or conversely, if your top two lines are outperforming Minnesota's top two lines and you need a bottom six that's more reliable defensively, then you would look at, you know, some of your other options, Erickson, McEwen, some of those mm. players. So uh, the other thing I think that's fair to say is just because uh, Travis picks 12 forwards to play in the first game doesn't mean that there won't be tweaks to the lineup throughout the series. And as these teams sort of feel each other out and you get into the tactical matchup of, uh, you know, one coach trying to make adjustments after losing the first game and, and things changing that way. Uh, even if a guy like Jake Furtanen isn't in the lineup on night one, it doesn't mean that he won't see action in the series at some point. Yeah, and that's, and that's the thing in a short series, too. I mean, you've got to make tweaks faster than uh, in a seven-game series where you have maybe a little more time. In a five-game series, you're down two, you know, you go down two games. You're, you're up against the wall right away. Absolutely. And, you know, that's something I think that will play into the Canucks' favor in this series because we've seen Travis Green is not afraid to make adjustments in-game. So, right. you know, he'll blend his lines if things aren't going. If for whatever reason the Patterson line which you know to this point in camp has had Miller and Toffoli on it if they're not going or they're not producing for whatever reason he's not going to be afraid to make tweaks he's not going to be afraid to throw Brock Besser on that line or move JT Miller with Bo mm -hmm. Horvat or, or make those little in-game type of adjustments to try and you know spark his team and get some offense out of them so um, the fact that he's already the kind of coach that does that uh, during the 82-game regular season most years anyway, means that, you know, I think he's set up well and uh, is a coach that really likes to have his finger on the pulse of his team so that, you know, if the Canucks are behind in a game and he does need a goal, um, you know, I, I would have confidence in him as a, you know, if you're a Canuck fan listening to this, that, mm -hmm. that he's the kind of coach that will, will have a good feel for the right kind of tweaks to make with his group to get the most out of them. Yeah, I mean, the one thing about the, you know, the forward group is there is that scoring potential. And, uh, I mean, we've seen it all season long. But the biggest thing that's going to uh, talk about the defense of the Canucks is and that's been the sore point. And, uh, I mean, it's, it was nice to hear Travis Green kind of see, say that he does see that as an issue and they were working on that stuff. What do you think the Canucks need to do for the defense, the part of the game, to win against the Wild? Yeah, well, you know, if you if you look at the, the three areas of the teams and you try to compare, you know, who has the edge going into the series, I would say that the Canucks have the edge at forward and they've got the edge in goal, but Minnesota has the edge on the blue line with, you know, Suter and Dumba and Spurgeon and Brodeen. Like, that's a, a legit top four. Right. And the Canucks blue line certainly has improved over the last few years. You know, you think back to – you know, even even in the past couple of years, guys like Derek Pouliot, Michael Delzato, Eric Branson uh, playing regular minutes. Uh, the blue line is certainly vastly improved from from where it was, but they've got a lot of work to do. Uh, to me, the immediate thing that you can look at on the back end that Travis Green can do to try and give the Canucks the best chance possible is to play the top two pairings a lot and really limit the ice time of the third pairing. Um, and I say that just because you look at some of the underlying numbers with this group and, you know, it's especially applicable to Quinn Hughes, uh, but maybe less so to guys like Alex Hedler and Chris Tanev. When they're on the ice, they're a better defensive team. When those yeah. guys are on the ice, you know, you look at the underlying numbers, they're controlling the shot attempts. They're playing in the attacking zone more often. 
Um, and, you know, if you look at the forward group, you could say the same thing about the top six, about guys like Pedersen and Horvat and Besser as well. So for the Canucks to have success, Travis Green, in my opinion, should shorten his bench. He should be playing his top defenseman as much as he possibly can uh, and trying to make sure he limits the situations where uh, the bottom pairing uh, is stuck out in a bad matchup on the ice. Now, the other interesting factor is how he's going to deploy his pairs because through the first few days of training camp anyway, he had Edler and Myers together, Hughes and Tanev together, uh, and then Fantenberg and Stetcher on the third pairing. Yeah. Uh, but then over the, the, you know, the latter portion of the first week, he made a tweak. And this was after Jordy Ben uh, left camp because he's gone to be with his fiance who's expecting a baby. Um, but he moved Myers down to the third pairing with Fantenberg and moved Stetcher up uh, to the second pairing, I guess you would call it, with Alex Edler. And that's an interesting move to me because it, it might speak to him trying to spread out uh, guys he trusts, trying to you know make it so that uh, when his third pairing's on the ice, he's not quite as worried about them with a veteran guy like Tyler Myers, who you know certainly has his... Uh, his defensive issues at times, but is someone that has the trust of the head coach. So, you know, if, if he wants to deploy his top four as Hughes, Tanev, Edler, and Myers, then to me, those are two pairings that you lean on. And whether it's Fantenberg or Ben and Stetcher as the third pairing, uh, you back off their minutes more. But if he moves Myers down to that third pairing, then that's a guy you still want to get ice time. Uh, we expect Myers to get some power play time, likely on the second unit. Um, so, so that'll be something that'll be interesting to watch as the series progresses is how Travis Green chooses to deploy his back end. But uh, the immediate thing I look at is the more you can have Quinn Hughes on the ice, the better chance you have of controlling the puck and being the team that's on the attack and creating scoring chances rather than giving them up. Yeah, that's, that's a big thing. And you saw it. You saw Green, he, wasn't he didn't hesitate to kind of change that throughout the season, too. Like, beginning of the season, it's basically going the same way. Like, he had, he had that pairing with Myers and Edler first, and then it was Edler and Stetcher uh, towards the end of the season. So, it seems like he may be going back to that um, alignment, too. Yeah, and, and again, talking about the, the in-game adjustments with the forward group, he'll make those in-game adjustments with the defensive group as well. So, um, just because, you know, he might want to start with Edler Stetcher doesn't mean that you won't see Edler and Myers rolled out together for certain shifts uh, once he gets the feel for what the matchup game is going to look like. And, um, you know, I'm always fascinated by how coaches try to approach matchups. But in a playoff series, those things are even more heightened and even more important. And, it, you know, it, it'll turn into kind of a chess game to a certain extent between Travis Green and Dean Evason. And um, it'll be interesting to see where Travis goes with some of those options. But the fact that he has tweaked his defensive pairings in the past helps him in that regard because yeah. it's not like you're making a switch and suddenly Stetcher's playing with Edler after not having played with him all season. Those guys have played together. They know how to play well with each other. Uh, and so there were, those are adjustments that he can feel confident in making if that's the route he chooses to go. Yeah, and we also saw Myers with uh, Hughes at points, too. I mean, the main pairing has been uh, Hughes and Tanev, but even Myers has played with him at times. Yeah, and, you know, that, that's a, a pairing that's more geared towards offense solely, where, mm -hmm. you know, 
Quinn Hughes, certainly the strengths of his game are, are his offensive game, his ability to transition the puck and, and jump up into the rush and things like that. Uh, not that he's a bad defender, but if you talk about Quinn Hughes and the style of defenseman he is, he's an offensive defenseman. Tyler Myers is that way too. We've seen him have forays into the offensive zone and take risks when he's got the puck on his stick. So that might be why he doesn't have that pairing together right now because, uh, you know, when you come into a playoff round, it might not be the best strategy to have two guys who are kind of, you know, riverboat gamblers to a certain extent uh, on the same pairing. But again, you're behind in a game. You need a goal. Why not throw your two offensive defensemen out on the ice together if you're pushing to try and even it up late because they are both guys that can help create offense for the back end. Yeah, that's very true. And I mean, it's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, I mean, this is a weird and interesting uh, series that's going to come up because we haven't seen a five game series uh, in a long time. And uh, yeah, the tweaks and the chess match, I think is going to be a big thing in this series when it comes to Congress going. Yeah, certainly. And, and it's even more heightened because it's a shorter series, right? Where if you make a bad adjustment and your team loses a game, you know, in a seven-game series, you lose game one, it's not that big of a deal. But in a five-game series, if you lose game one, then you're going into game two treating it almost like a must-win because if you're down 2 nothing, then you got to win three in a row. So all of those things, uh, the pressure and, and the focus on everything around the series, not just the – the, the line matchups and, and the things that the coaches do to try to tweak things, but how certain players are performing or whether guys are able to step up in clutch moments and score big goals. All of the stuff that you analyze around that in a normal playoff series is going to be amplified just because every loss uh, is so much more of a, of a negative impact towards your hopes of winning the series. Yeah, that's true. And, it was nice to see, just to pivot from defense uh, to goaltending, it was nice to see uh, Jacob Markstrom have that shutout yesterday and actually look more of himself. More himself. I wasn't really worried. Uh, you know, it's, he was off for a long time, even before uh, with his injury. So it's nice to actually see him kind of getting in the groove again. Yeah, he and Demko were both really good in the scrimmage, I thought, where, um, you know, Jacob Markstrom, he gave up five goals in the first scrimmage. And, you know, it's just a scrimmage. He's getting you know, ramped up and getting ready for, for actual games. So, you know, he'll have wanted to do as well as possible, but, you know, we called that game on the radio and we had some texts in uh, that we were reading on the post game show being like, Ooh, Markstrom gave up five goals in the scrimmage. Maybe they should start Demko in game one. And it's like, well, not quite. We don't have a goaltending controversy. This guy was still one of the best goaltenders in the NHL this season could have very well been a Vezina finalist, even though he wasn't chosen uh, as one of the top three. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I never had any worries about that, but it is nice to see that, you know, he has a better second scrimmage. He doesn't allow a goal. He made some key saves throughout. And then, you know, looking further down the depth chart, Thatcher Demko was solid as well, I thought. And um, so if you end up having to go to him for whatever reason at some point in the playoffs, you could be relatively confident that he can step in and do well as well. Yeah, and that, and that's what's going to be key in these in these playoffs for every team is is the depth, uh, goaltending, defense, forwards, whatever. I mean, there's going to be you know potentially injuries, and we all know that happens throughout a series. And you know, you may need to dip into that depth at times. Um, hopefully, not uh, very often, but you you know you're going to have to use those uh, those guys maybe in key roles. 
Well, yeah, and especially, you know, with with everything that we've seen over the past few months, right? Like the, the fact that these guys haven't been playing or practicing at the level they normally would uh, means the risk of soft tissue injuries, groin pulls yeah. and hamstrings and things like that is so much higher. There's also the risk of players contracting COVID and then being sidelined for two weeks potentially. So uh, depth, you know, you hope that guys can stay healthy and that COVID isn't a problem and that we're not talking too, too much about depth being a factor where, uh, you know, teams need to be going to their eighth and ninth defensemen and, you know, 15th forwards because there are a ton of injuries, but that is a possibility. So the more guys you have that you can rely upon further down the lineup, the better. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, you know, it's going to, it's going to be exciting to uh, go through the next week of camp and uh, probably a few more scrimmages. And I thought it was really smart for uh, the coaching staff doing that uh, morning skate and scrimmage at night. It kind of gets everyone into the groove again, which they haven't had in like a bunch of, you know, a few months. So I thought that was a really good idea on their part. Yeah, I did too. It was something I hadn't thought about uh, when, when thinking about some of the things the coaching staff might do to try and get the team ready for game action again. But it makes a ton of sense. You go through that routine uh, and you get used to it again. And I, I would assume it's similar to what the routine will be like once they get to Edmonton. But at the same time, uh, the game times will be a little bit different. We know game one is going to be 7.30 Pacific. So that's 8.30 at night Edmonton time. Yeah. Uh, so, so that throws off your routine a little bit that way as well. Uh, and then, you know, with limited number of ice sheets and multiple games happening, are they going to consistently get a morning skate every day? Uh, we don't necessarily know that 100% yet, although you would assume that uh, they will. And then there's also the possibility, because all these games are being played on one rink, what if the game before you goes into quadruple overtime? And yeah, suddenly right. you've got to wait for your game to start. And, you know, with the Canucks likely being the last game of the day more often than not, just because uh, you get them on at 730 in the Pacific time zone so that there's better TV ratings, that, that makes obvious sense. Uh, what if a game goes into quadruple overtime and suddenly you're starting your game at 11 p.m. or something like that? Like, yeah, that's yeah. entirely possible. So, um, you know, wh while it was a good decision, I thought, by the coaching staff to do the simulated game days, even when they get to Edmonton, there's a good chance that their game days won't be quote unquote normal as you would see with a team uh, during a regular season where all of these factors weren't at play. Yeah. I mean, the one thing is nothing's normal right now with that, a lot of the stuff. So I mean, a lot of adjustments as we go uh, down the line. So uh, it's going to be exciting though, to have hockey back, especially, I mean, it's weird talking about hockey in July and uh, sitting at, 30 degree weather and talking about hockey coming up instead of just off season, but <laughs> it's going to be uh, exciting just to watch hockey again. Yeah, it certainly is. And exciting for us to be able to broadcast it again. You know, I've, I've really got the juices flowing uh, just being able to call these scrimmages. So uh, it's going to be fun and, and looking forward to some really important games for the Canucks for the first time in five years. Yes. And it's been, it's been exciting just to, to hear, uh, hear you call games again and to, uh, it felt like a normal, normal day, <laughs> that's for sure. So, uh, yeah, so it'll be exciting to hear you again this week for the next scrimmage. And uh, thanks for, for coming on the podcast, too. Is uh, I was actually surprised uh, to have you on, so it was great. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, yeah, you can uh, listen to Brendan uh, call the games on Sportsnet 650 in this week and uh, hear him on the radio all the time. So, 
Uh, thank you again, and uh, hope to have you on again soon. Great conversation with Brendan Batchelor there. Very excited that he came on the show. He had some great insights on the uh, Minnesota Wild Canucks matchup coming up and the different lineup uh, choices that Travis Green has. So it was awesome discussing stuff with you. I hope uh, you can get him on the show again because uh, he was a great, uh, great discussion for sure. Next, we'll be talking with Eddie Jones of the Hockey Writers, who's a great colleague of mine over there, and uh, it was great having him on the show. That'll be up right around the corner. Vancouver selects from the University of Michigan, Quinn Hughes. And with our first selection, we select from Timra, Elias Peterson. The 2019, the Vancouver Canucks draft from St. Petersburg of the KHL, Vasiliev Potsovev. And welcome back to the Canucks and Pucks podcast. I'm very excited to be joined by uh, Eddie Jones from the Hockey Writers. And he also hosts the Forever Mighty podcast who covers the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, on that podcast and at the Hockey Writers. Uh, welcome in, Eddie. Uh, thanks for joining me. No problem. Thanks for having me. I, I need to find some some things to do with no Ducks hockey going on right now, so I'm happy to happy to be on. Yeah, for sure. There's lots of, lots of hockey uh, talk going on now that we've got uh, dates for the playoffs or postseason, I guess we would call them that right now because the playoffs are not actually. This is still qualifying rounds. But... Uh, yeah, it's exciting to actually talk hockey rather than just talking about the past and top 10 lists and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's great to have hockey back. Uh, I mean, we didn't think it would come back at, at some points. I think, you know, some people had just resigned to the fact that maybe we should just cancel the season altogether. And even yesterday with, um, <laughs> with Rogers Arena flooding, uh it's still still up in the air whether things are going to go through but yeah it's nice it's nice to have like training camp news and actual you know concrete news coming out rather than kind of just speculating if hockey's going to return at all yeah yeah for sure and look at that uh tsn posting it's probably taken down now but they're posting that it was rogers arena in vancouver getting flooded and a picture of rogers arena and i'm like my gosh <laughs> but uh yeah it's uh hopefully everything gets uh fixed over there and we can uh still going it looks like that it's not big structural damage or any structural damage so it shouldn't put the damper on that yeah i would hope so i mean i'm they still have some time right like the the, the games actually don't start until i believe august 1st i know there's a couple exhibition games beforehand but they've got uh, at least a, a decent amount of time to get through. I don't think it's it's at quite the level uh, of Scotiabank saddle dome da damage <laughs> that was a couple a couple seasons ago yeah. when that flooded. So luckily they're they're not too worse for wear there. Yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, we'll st we'll start. To, we'll talk a bit about the draft, which is now ha also has a date or a tentative date of October 9th and tenth. Um, we're going to be going pretty crazy with profiles that at the hockey writers have probably unprecedented amount of uh, prospect profiles from uh, previous years. I'm probably not going to get as much, but uh, we still have another, like you have to think about another two months of uh, speculation and deep dives into these prospects. Uh, how, how do you think this has all kind of gone with the draft so far um, this year? 
Yeah, it's been nuts because I remember, you know, we all kind of thought there might be, I believe it was like a June draft, right, where the NHL wanted to have it, but then, you know, led by Steve Eisman and a lot of the other GMs, they they really didn't think it was a good idea. And, and you know, I, I can get on board with that. I think, you know, they want to figure out how, you know, conditional picks were going to work and how, you know, the play-in series was going to affect the draft lottery and everything like that. And, with Detroit being as bad as they were, you would figure that Steve Eisman would kind of be at the at the front of that push and, and making sure things go uh, as planned. But, uh, you know, for us uh, as writers and, and the draft writing team at uh, the Hockey Writers, it's been nice to have that extra time and kind of go in, in depth on, on some players who normally in a regular year wouldn't get profiles. I know, you know, right now I'm, I'm working on a profile for Oscar Magnuson mm-hmm. and, you know, he might go third or fourth round and, you know, he's a guy you probably don't get a prospect profile in a, in a normal or regular season. Usually it's, you know, the guys projected obviously in the first round and, and second round, and then maybe some of the steals here or there, but yeah, it, it's nice to, you know, be able to have this comprehensive coverage where we're going to have so many profiles yeah. up because we, ha- we have so much time to, to watch these guys and, and, you know, review some tape and, and put some profiles out there. Yeah. I mean, it could be a good and bad thing uh, kind of heavily dissecting some of these top picks uh, by the time they get to NHL, I mean, everyone's going to know so much about them uh, and some of the some of the plays that they make. I mean, I don't know if it's, that's always a good thing to know so much about these guys or, you know, unfair, uh, for, you know, stuff going on them. But, uh, yeah, it's still great to, to get more in-depth than, than previous years. Yeah, I think, you know, the, some things you're seeing, too, is, you know, with the Jake Sanderson, Jamie Drysdale argument right now is – you've got a lot of people having more time on their hands to start watching some of the guys they haven't seen and, and then maybe overwatching guys in, mm-hmm. in Jamie Drysdale's case where pretty much until COVID hit, it was Jamie Drysdale was the unquestioned number one defenseman in this draft. And then you get people sitting back and watching more tape on Jake Sanderson and they, they might've watched too much tape on Jamie Drysdale. And now that gap seems to be closing. I, I, I think they are, you know, close in, in terms of their talent and their potential, but it it starts to kind of creep in that maybe there was a, a bit of too much time on their hands when you start having these guys close in and, and you have some guys creeping up in, into the first round that weren't in that discussion before that you have all this extra time where you can start maybe you know, some of the leagues that don't get uh, as many looks normally, you start to get these guys creep up and, and move up in the rankings. Yeah, going off that, uh, there probably be some jumps and, uh, you know, going looking at some of these players. I mean, you're going to see some guys jump up uh, that normally may not uh, jump into maybe like the top 15 or even into the first round. Uh, do you have any, do you have any other play, any players that you think will do that? They'll jump up into the top 15. Yeah, yeah I, I think there's definitely some guys who could do that. Um, you know, there's a nice mix I guess from nine to to twenty, where you know there's some guys who could really surprise some people and, and jump up into the, the conversation. You know, there's there's guys like Noel Gundler who, depending on who you ask, he's a top ten talent, and there, there's others who kind of see him as like a fifteen to twenty. So he's a guy who I think could can jump into that mix with that real solid top nine that we've seen all year of, you know, the Byfield, Lafreniere, uh, Rossi, Holtz, Raymond, Drysdale, Lindell, Perfetti, all those guys, you know, 
Gunler might be one of those guys who kind of creeps up in there and you know an another guy that's getting a lot of uh, time now with uh, the the break is is Seth Jarvis as well mm -hmm. uh, a guy that slowly kind of climbed up the rankings all year and and now he's kind of making his way into that discussion as you know is he a top 10 pick is he a guy who could find himself you know around 11 12 or 13 and you're starting to see guys who might have been there all year and and guys like Connor Zari and Dylan Holloway that kind of start to fall off as you get to watch some of these guys some more and and then and then from there like there's always you know guys that and some people rank and you know as a as a second round pick that in some rankings they just shoot up there you know Zion Nybeck I know there's a lot of people yeah. who are really in love with him uh the same goes for Emil Andre it, it seems that a lot of these these undersized Swedish prospects are jumping into some people's you know top 20 uh, while they fall into the second round as others and that always kind of comes with you know players that are I think both of them are five nine you know that always kind of comes into the equation where some people will value their skill a little bit more and then their size always becomes an issue for some yeah I mean there's so many guys that uh, you know they're undersized especially if you look at some of the defensemen in this draft there's some undersized defensemen that you know could jump uh, because of the success of you know guys like Quinn Hughes uh, coming into the league and and that's kind of that may determine a bit of what what type of defenseman that that uh, teams value now especially with the success of uh, of Hughes of Quinn Hughes and I mean Kale McCarr is not the biggest guy either so I mean you look at these smaller uh, defensemen and they seem to be succeeding in the NHL right now yeah and, and I, I think you know you look at some defensemen who are maybe a little more offensively inclined than others that are starting to get looks. I don't think, you know, I know he's fallen a bit, but Jeremy Poirier for the St. John Sea Dogs, he's a, a guy who's fallen because he really doesn't have a, a ton of commitment on the defensive end of things, but he's still ranked in some people's second round and some people's first round just because of pure offensive ability. And I think if you, you take a player like him, you know, five, 10 years ago, uh, you know, he's a guy who's probably a threat to go undrafted just because He's a defenseman who really doesn't focus too much on the defense side of the game, and he's a bit smaller. I think he's about just six foot. So, you know, 10 years ago, he might not get drafted. And now, you know, there's still some knocks on his game, but he's still considered to be potentially a top, you know, top 60 player in this draft. And again, like I mentioned, Emil Andre is 5'9", uh, and, and he's kind of still sniffing around the, the late first round, early second round pick. And, and a guy, again, you know, a decade ago that might go undrafted because of his size, it, you know, you start to see these guys – kind of win out and, and get points now because of their skill, which is how it should be. And yeah. it's the way, the, you know, the NHL is transitioning. And like you mentioned, you know, guys like Quinn Hughes are, are prime example of, of smaller, you know, undersized defensemen. And, and, you know, in Quinn Hughes' case, he's not that big either. Like no. when we talk about Marco Rossi in this draft, I know he's not a defenseman, but he's 5'9", mm -hmm. but he's a, he's a big 5'9". Like he's a big stocky kid pushing 190 yeah. pounds. Quinn Hughes is a lot smaller and as a defenseman, you know, normally in the past that would kind of worry you, but you know, they're showing the, the amount of points they're putting up and, and their hot, their hockey sense on, on the defensive and offensive side of the game. You know, it, it just, it just doesn't matter anymore yeah. that you can kind of get by, uh, although you're a little bit undersized. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is about these undersized guys, their work ethic is always really high, which can get, uh, get a lot of looks too for a lot of teams um, because they can push through that. Yeah, and and they're they're willing to learn too. I think as well, and, and you know, guys, some of the bigger defensemen, well, they'll have warts on their games. They'll get a little bit benefit of the doubt because of their size. You know, the work ethic might not be there defensively, but 
you know the the old kind of adage is that if if you've got size you know you'll you'll make do you can get by mm-hmm. but you know th- these smaller guys are, are kind of underrated throughout their their entire careers especially smaller defensemen so that work ethic has to be there yeah if you're going to make it at the nhl level and from all the successful you know smallish defensemen we've seen lately that transition to the nhl and, and that you know adaptation of, of their defensive game in the nhl is, is usually pretty smooth because they're willing to put in the time they're willing to put in that effort and they've kind of been you know, underdogs at every level. And I know Quinn Hughes was a high draft pick and, yeah. and, you know, maybe he's not considered an underdog, but you'd, you'd have to, you still had doubters when he was drafted where he was that, you know, is his size going to be an issue? But you know, again, it, it kind of shows that hockey sense and, and work ethic and commitment, um, you know, will get you by on the defensive side of the game. And he doesn't really have to engage too much physically to be a successful defenseman. No, that's very true. As his skating gets, you know, gets him out of trouble a lot of the time. The way he can transition the puck, um, I mean, and that that uh, that alone is what uh, makes him makes him a real special player. He's just elusive too, right? Like yeah. he he doesn't get he doesn't really put himself in bad positions, and when he does, you know, his skating ability or his ability to kind of make a a pass that normally. You know, a, a regular defenseman probably wouldn't be able to make to get himself out of trouble is, is why, you know, he's able to succeed. And that's why we what we see is one usually when the undersized defenseman get drafted is, is their skating has to be, you know, near the top end of, the, of that class for them to be considered at a spot like Quinn Hughes was drafted from, you know, maybe a guy. Like I already mentioned a few times here, Emil Andre isn't yeah. kind of in that discussion as much because I don't think his skating is, is near the level of of Quinn Hughes. But. You know, that's what you, you kind of see from the modern day defenseman now is the size doesn't necessarily have to be there, but you have to be a tremendous skater uh, yes. for you to really succeed at a high level. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's, let's shift gears a bit um, about uh, talk about your team, the Anaheim Ducks. Um, what type of prospects or I mean, in the draft, who, who do you think they're targeting uh, to kind of fill some needs there? Yeah, they've got an interesting spot at six this year where, you know, just like last year's draft was kind of dictated by the Detroit Red Wings when they took Cider and kind of threw a wrench into things, Detroit's kind of in that spot again mm-hmm. where, you know, depending on who they take this year could dictate who Ottawa takes at five and in turn who Anaheim takes at six. Um, you know, Bob Murray's mentioned a couple times that literally nobody on this team uh, can fire a one-timer and, and shoot the puck well. So uh, I think that's clearly a need. Uh, from an organizational standpoint, is to get a shooter. The the Ducks really don't have a consistent goal threat. Uh, Ricard Raquel's fallen off after having mm-hmm. back-to-back 30-goal seasons, and we're all still kind of waiting for Silverberg to find that consistency over an 82-game season where he's able to put up 30 goals. So the, the Ducks just really don't have that threat. So, you know, I feel like a guy like Alexander Holtz is, is an easy fit and a nice complimentary piece to go alongside Trevor Zegras, who's arguably the best playmaker not playing in the NHL at this point in time. And you, you pair him with a, you know, pure goal scorer like Holtz. I, I feel like that's something you look for, but, Again, you know, since since dealing Brandon Montour, since dealing Sammy Votnin, the, the Ducks' only right-handed defenseman of, of any quality is Josh Manson. And, and if, you know, Jamie Drysdale is sitting there at that point in time, I, I can make the argument for Drysdale as well. And, you know, really any of these guys at this point, and especially the point of the Ducks' rebuild, is is you you can't be too picky at six overall. And, you know, the old 
saying is you should take the best player available and the Ducks and Martin Madden have said that in the past. So whoever is number, you know, top of their list at that point, whether, you know, it's Raymond, if he's there or Rossi or Holtz or Drysdale, you know, that's, that's the guy they're going to go. I don't think they're going to pay too much attention, at least at that pick to, um, to their organizational needs. But when you take into account, they do have Boston's first round pick as well. I think that's where, they start to kind of assess the organizational needs and depending on who they drafted at six, you know, if they, if they take Holtz at six, maybe they go a defenseman at, uh, you know, anywhere from 27 to 31, wherever Boston falls. And you know, maybe then they go grands or, or they look at Andre or maybe a bigger defenseman like Caden Gooley. But, you know, if they take Drysdale at six, you know, maybe they go for a shooter like Tyson Forrester uh, with that that second first round pick and, and start to kind of address organizational needs there. And same goes for, the uh, 36 overall pick, the early second round pick they have as well. I think that's when they can kind of start getting creative and, and starting to fill some needs that they, that they have to fill in their prospect pool. Yeah, the one thing about the Ducks, like they still haven't replaced, like they still have Ryan Getzlaf, um, but I mean, they haven't replaced Corey Perry, uh, his goal scoring ability when he, you know, when he was in his prime. Um, you know, I don't know, what is your opinion on what, what type of core are they trying to build? It looks like they're starting to try and transition into a faster puck possession based team. That's how Dallas Akins has kind of proven how he wants to play this team. Uh, and then obviously you look at bringing a player like Trevor Zegras, that is an ideal piece to build around if you're going to have that type of team and, and play that type of style. Uh, but, you know, they, they don't have the pieces in place yet. And unfortunately, you know, you look just down the road at LA and, and the job that they've done, rebuilding you can see that they've fully committed to a rebuild and I, I don't think the Ducks are are at that spot yet and I think they've kind of missed the boat a bit on on being a team that can fully commit to a rebuild but you know th- I think that's the the type of players they're looking for here is is guys who are going to play quick they're going to distribute the puck quickly and ultimately you know they're, they're going to need a finisher who's going to put the puck in the back of the net so it's a few years away I mean you, you've got you know any number of these guys that you can take in the top nine, I think are going to accelerate a rebuild. And, and, you know, I, I, I would be comfortable taking any one of, you know, Holtz, Rossi, Drysdale, Perfetti, Raymond at six and, and, you know, hoping that the ducks are able to turn it around sooner, sooner rather than later. Yeah. And the thing is about this first round this year, it's quite, it's really deep. I mean, having the amount of first round picks that they do have, it's, you know, they can accelerate rebuild, by just getting two real quality pieces in this draft. And then next year's draft is, is pretty uh, filled with uh, good defensemen. So uh, yeah, it's, it's the next couple couple drafts that they could do some damage uh, in the, just, just picking um, anyone really. Yeah. You never want to like bank on being bad next year, but I, <laughs> I, I can't help but look to 2021 and the amount of top defensemen that are available in that draft. And, and then you look at this year and, and try and make the argument on why you shouldn't take Jamie Drysdale if he's available. And maybe you do take a forward like Holtz or Raymond if they're there at six instead of Drysdale just because you've got guys like Owen Power and, and Brant Clark and Carson Lambos among you know many others who could be top 10 picks next year as defensemen. It's, it's hard to look forward uh, and, and kind of hope that you're going to be bad or assume that you're going to be bad enough to get a top five over pick, but it, you know, overall pick. But if you're being realistic and you know, the Ducks roster isn't getting any better next year and you would, you would assume that they're probably going to have another top 10 pick, you, you have to take that into consideration. And there's just so many good forwards 
this year yeah. that I, I I think is as good as Drysdale could become. Like it's it's hard to to pass up on them when you know next year's loaded with defensemen. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, on this side, the Canucks don't probably. I mean, they may still get a first round pick this year if they don't end up uh, getting through the qualifying round. But uh, it would be nice for the team to get a pick in this round, especially with all the for- nice forwards that that is that are available. Yeah, for sure. I well, you guys got some good players on the way too. I mean, I'm a I'm a huge fan uh, of Niels Hoglander and. Um, Earlier in June, when the Ducks signed Cody Curran, we had him on the podcast, and obviously he played with uh, with Hoaglander last year. Mm. And uh, he, I asked him about um, if where he was on the ice when Hoaglander scored that lacrosse goal, uh, and, and he had nothing but good things to say about his ability as a player, how how great of a guy he is off the ice, and you know, he's he's going to be an exceptional player. And then you add, you know. Paul Colson and, and what he's done and, and you know he's going to get increased minutes next year in the KHL and, and you guys just signed Jack Rathbone as well like there are some good players on the way and you add it to a to a mix of of Elias Pedersen and Brock Besser if he sticks around and Bo Horvat like the the Canucks have slowly you know it's it's taken a bit but they've they've kind of gotten their way <laughs> to, to having a team that looks like they can really contend and you know I've been a fan of, of Jacob Markstrom for a while and, and his season I think this past year has showed that you know even if Demko doesn't pan out long term that the Canucks do have a, a at least a capable starting goaltender on their hands. Yeah that's the one thing uh, the Canucks are going to have a lot of I mean app issues aside <laughs> there's a lot still need to be done on that and that's a whole podcast worth of discussion. <laughs> <laughs> for sure yeah it, it definitely the cap is. issues but I mean with the young guys coming up, it's going to be – it's already exciting to watch uh, the team uh, build. It's just – it has to be done right. And I don't – I'm really concerned that the Canucks are going to have to trade uh, Jake Rutanen or, or, you know, a guy like that to to get the room to have these guys on the roster. But, uh, like I said, that's a whole other discussion. Yeah, I, I think there has to be a team out there who is willing – to absorb a, a contract like Louis Erickson's. I mean, it's not the most ideal contract, even if you are a team like New Jersey or Ottawa with a ton of cap space to try and avoid, because I think that he still has about four years left on that deal. But yes. it, it's still, I don't think it's completely unmovable. Now it might cost you a first round pick to move that contract out, but ultimately in the end, if that means you get to keep Brock Besser and you have enough money reserved that you don't have to move a guy like Jake Vertanen to sign Pedersen and, and Quinn Hughes when their deals are, are ready to, to be signed, then you know, that might be the, the route you have to go. And instead of sacrificing a player who's a, a big part of your future, you have to sacrifice a first round pick to get there. And, you know, we've seen teams do that in the past. Pittsburgh has pretty much traded their first round pick almost every year for the last 10 years to, yeah. to keep things going. And Chicago did that when, when they were having their run as well. So sometimes, you know, the, the sacrifice to move these bad contracts ends up having to be, you know, first round picks. And I think, you know, the, the position the Canucks are in now and, and the prospects they have in their system, I think they're getting to a point where they, they can finally be comfortable with having to do that. Now they put themselves in that position. So that's, that's always tough, but I, I think they are getting to a point where, you know, if one year you have to sacrifice a first round pick to move that contract, it's it's not that too hard to swallow. Especially when you have the depth at, uh, you know, you start getting the depth at all positions and you can afford to do that to get better or to, you know, soften the blow of uh you know, the cap, the cap hits that a lot of these 
veteran forwards are having right now. But uh, yeah, like you said, it's it's getting to a point where the Canucks are able, going to be able to do that to keep a core, an exciting core that uh, together. Yeah, for for me, I think uh, as much as I already said I love Jack and Markstrom, I think a, a great pick for Vancouver if they had a top fifteen pick to get this year would have been Yaroslav Askarov just oh, to, yes. to kind of put in their system. And you know, Markstrom's not exactly old, but he's also not exactly young anymore. Um, and and again, like I said, you know, Demko, I, I think you know, there's still questions about his ability as a starter in the future. So you know, he honestly could have been the best option for the uh, Canucks if they had a, a pick to, you know, wait on him a couple of years in the KHL. Uh, and then when he comes over, you know, a similar uh, effect to what Shesterkin had with the Rangers this year in his limited time and, and obviously yeah. Sorokin coming over as well. So I don't know if they'll be able to, to swing it, but he would definitely be a guy that uh, I think they would be high on and, and would be kind of a good organizational move for them. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. That's something I haven't really thought about as the Canucks you know, if they're in that range to pick a goaltender. But, uh, yeah, they make some good points there. Um, yeah, so to finish off the show, we'll kind of shift gears into what's coming up, the qualifying round that's coming up, um, and kind of get your thoughts on what, you know, what series you're kind of focusing on uh, with the Ducks not in there. Um, who do you have uh, kind of an exciting series you're looking forward to in the West and then uh, pick for the East? Yeah, I, I think the, the series are, are definitely interesting. I was kind of hoping for a Calgary-Edmonton series. I think that's that's how it was shaping up in, in the first round if the playoffs had to go on as normal. But now we've we've kind of added teams like Chicago to the mix where it's it's kind of thrown a wrench in things. And you know, not because this is a, a Vancouver Canucks podcast. I'm not trying to cater to the fans <laughs> here, but I, I, I'm honestly looking forward to, to the Canucks and Wild series. I, I think in all the other ones, I, I can kind of, maybe pick a winner or, you know, have a team who I think is a favorite in that series. But, you know, out of all the teams, you know, my most exciting team to kind of watch in, in the West here in this playing round is, is Vancouver. Cause I, I think they could be a dark horse. I think out of all those teams involved there, they might have the best shot. Um, now if Markstrom gets hot, I think they've got an exceptional team to move far, but the wild there are kind of an underrated team. They were very, very hot. And Kevin Fiala was one of the best players in the NHL before we moved into the break. So although they don't get to add Kirill Kaprizov to their roster for this play in round, um, you know, he'll be around. And, and I think there's going to be a lot of excitement through, through that series. So for me in the West, that's the one to look for. Uh, in the East, I'm, I'm honestly excited for Toronto and Columbus just because I feel like Columbus could pull off another uh, upset like they did last year against, uh, against Tampa yeah. Bay. They, they, they have everybody healthy. Uh, they, they have all the pieces in place to, to make a, a pretty good you know, case to beat the Leafs, and, and the Leafs haven't been consistent in the past in, in getting past some of these teams. So those would be, be my two series to look for. But there's, there's a lot of matchups out there, especially in the East. Like even you know, Pittsburgh-Montreal I think will be a good one, and, and Carolina and the Rangers should be an interesting one to watch too. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm watching that. Uh, you know, the Toronto-Columbus series is actually really intriguing, especially with – what Columbus did last uh, last year or last season with the in the playoffs too. So I mean they're definitely a different team. Like we uh, had Pete uh, Pete Bauer, who's also a writer at the Hockey Writers too. Um, he covers the Columbus Blue Jackets, and he he was saying about that Columbus could could still be a team that could uh, you know upset the Maple Leafs if they're able to play that defensive style that John Tortorella kind of 
uh, employs. So, um, yeah, they're, be, they're still going to be a team to watch, even though they are a way different team. Yeah, I, I think for me, the the team I'm, I'm really going to watch, and it's outside the play-in round here, uh, is the Flyers. I, I think, you know, I think they have a good case to be that team eventually that comes out of the East. Now, obviously, it's going to be hard to to beat teams like Pittsburgh and Boston and, and Tampa Bay, but you know, I, I like what the Flyers are building. I think they have enough pieces in place to to be a competitive team, and it's it's obvious by the fact that they are one of these top four teams in the East that are, are going to have the buys through the first round. So, the, for for me, they're they're the team to watch. I, I would not be surprised to see them potentially in the Eastern Conference Final. You know, depending if they have to match up against Boston or, or Tampa Bay uh, to get there in the first place. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna be exciting to see. I just I mean, it's it's weird having hockey in August, but uh, I mean, <laughs> being away from it for so long, uh, we've basically had a little bit. We basically had an off season uh, when it wasn't supposed to be. So, uh, just having hockey back, I mean, it's gonna be way different. Uh, watching it with no fans, and uh, you know, we're gonna like just watching. Um, I mean, it wasn't live stream, the scrimmage the Canucks had yesterday, but uh, they did broadcast over the radio and you could hear the players cursing and it's going to be an interesting thing, especially if they, I mean, I don't know if the NHL is going to be doing that crowd noise stuff, but uh, it's definitely going to be an interesting experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how they do that, too. I was talking with somebody actually earlier today about that and about how, you know, European soccer it puts the crowd noise in, but it's a little bit more of a simpler process for that because of how loud the crowd is already. And, and they don't really they don't really make an effort to dampen the crowd noise in European soccer like they do in North American professional sports. And, you know, for hockey, uh, the 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 crowd does go silent at times during play or at least not loud enough where there's chants or, or songs that that they're singing throughout hockey games so i'll be interested to see what they do uh and if they try and go down the the european soccer route and play crowd noise in because i can honestly see that going going really bad uh if, if they try to pump that in and, and maybe being a bit on un, authentic but yeah you're, you're right i mean the nhl in the past has, has been one to kind of try and shy away from, from bad language making its way on TV. And if you've got no crowd noise, you're bound to hear it no matter where uh, the speakers are placed. So I'm, I'm interested to, to, to see how they handle that and, and how the broadcast handles that. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to, it's, well, everything's unprecedented right now. So that's <laughs> a, well, we'll see what it, what it all shakes down. Um, yeah. Just to finish up uh, the show is, I kind of asking maybe a bold prediction for the, these playoffs that are coming up. Um, I'll say a bold prediction overall. Uh, my, my bold prediction overall, I, I would say that Philadelphia makes the Stanley Cup finals. I, I <laughs> mentioned, talked about them a little bit. I feel like it's bold enough. I know they're one of the yeah, top yeah. four teams, but you know, I, you look at uh, Boston, Tampa, and Washington. I think most people would probably say that that they're favorites over Philly. But I know I'm I'm, I'm going to stick with it's been my bold prediction since Philly made the uh, kind of the top four that I, I think that they're going to be a team who who makes the push. So I'm going with Philly in the Stanley Cup final. I don't know if they're going to win. It depends if, if who they meet up there. My favorite overall is Colorado. So maybe yeah. uh, maybe we'll see a, a Philly Colorado Stanley Cup final. It'd be interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's not really – it's hard to pick a Stanley Cup uh, winner at this point because everyone's on the same page with 
you know, everyone's dealing with the same step. Uh, you know, guys are pulling out. I mean, none of the star players have pulled out um, of it. So uh, it's still going to be uh, a weird – it's a weird playoffs to predict, I'll say. Yeah, and, and you never know who could opt out and who could get sick during the tournament. Like, David Pasternak is out. So is Andre Castro for Boston. We don't know why. It could be injuries. could be just fitness isn't there. could be. COVID-19, you don't yeah. know. They're not really being forward with any information, which I can understand right now. But, you know, ha- halfway through the first round, like, who knows if McKinnon ends up either getting injured or, or getting sick or whatever it is, then that completely dashes the, the hopes of the Colorado Avalanche. It's such a unprecedented environment to be a part of that, you know, if a player does get sick or, or if just a regular injury occurs, just like any year that, yeah. you know, a team who you had as a favorite or somebody had as a favorite all of a sudden goes down. And either way, there's always upsets. You know, we, we saw it last year with Columbus and Tampa Bay, you know, a team who we think is a favorite could get upset in the first round. And some of the matchups here too, like if Toronto or Columbus beat uh, whoever wins that, they go on to play Boston. And that's not a comfortable matchup, I no, think, for not. Boston either. <laughs> so it's, it, it, it's a tough setup for, for teams to kind of go through. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, yeah, thanks for thanks for joining me on the on the segment, uh, Eddie. It was great talking with you. Um, I'll just give you a chance to kind of plug any articles that are coming up uh, on the Hockey Writers, and I'll just let uh, I'll let you have the floor. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thanks for for having me on. Um, I guess for, for for plugs, if you guys want, if there's any Ducks fans out there, <laughs> I, I like uh, Matthew mentioned at the beginning of the show. I host the Forever Mighty podcast, so. Uh, normally we do a post game show uh, after the game is usually when our podcast runs, but of course in the off season, there's no games. So we usually do a show every, every couple of weeks. Uh, and for upcoming articles on the hockey writers, it will be all pretty much ducks related with a few draft things here and there. Uh, and we do do some, uh, some great draft deep dives over at recruit scouting. I just put out a deep dive on Alexander Holtz backed up by some videos. So if you guys want to check that out, uh, he's a, he's definitely one of the most interesting prospects I think for this draft. So it was a lot of fun to do. All right. Yeah. Thanks Eddie. Uh, you can uh, follow Eddie at uh, on Twitter at Eddie Van Jones, and you can uh, see his work on the hockey writers and listen to him on uh, the Forever Mighty podcast as well. Uh, Thank you, Eddie, again for joining me and uh, hope to have you on again soon. Forever, Matthew, appreciate it. All the best. Thanks, Eddie, for joining the show. That was a great conversation with you about uh, the different Anaheim Ducks prospects and the NHL draft in general. Also threw in some great Canucks talk as well about the Canucks prospects coming up too. So uh, thanks for coming on the show and it was a a great conversation with you. Uh, Next, we'll be uh, having Another Canucks writer, uh, Canuck Way writer, Thomas Anderson, who's a rising star in the industry. He only has 90-something followers. Come on, guys, you got to give him some follows. And uh, we talked about Lockwood and um, Mark Michaelis and uh, a few other Canucks prospects. And uh, that was a great conversation. And that is coming up next. Welcome back to the Canucks and Pucks podcast. I'm very excited to be joined now by uh, Thomas Anderson, who's a writer over at uh, the Canuck Way, where I got my start uh, as well. And very happy to have him on the show to talk Canucks. Uh, and uh, yeah, welcome to the show, Thomas. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, it's really good. Like I like I was tweeting out earlier. I've been this is a, this was a goal of mine for this year. 
So it feels good to cross that one off the bucket list and what's been a pretty insane year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I uh, appreciate to be on the, on the podcast. Uh, just got uh, restarted myself uh, with uh, Canucks and Pucks after uh, probably a few months hiatus from the beginning of the season. I'm getting back in, up to speed. So uh, it's great to be talking Canucks hockey, that's for sure, uh, with especially being uh, almost four months away from basically another off season that we've had. So it's uh, it's been good to actually have some new hockey to talk about. Yeah, it feels really it – was, it was really good yesterday just seeing um, even – uh, quads when he tweeted out his little um, pre pregame mm-hmm. uh, report for um, Canuck Army. It's like I have I missed that. I missed seeing some sort of news. Like with everything so up in the air, it feels good that um, Canucks even are in training camp. That's been really good to watch lately. Yeah, and uh, and the thing is, is like just listening on the radio, uh, Brendan Bachelor doing the doing the play-by-play it was pretty cool to actually have some semblance of uh you know normalcy uh, with hockey and even though it was just a scrimmage and uh, I don't know if there's other markets that we get that excited for a scrimmage especially on Twitter there um with the live tweetings but even though we never had a live stream uh anywhere but it was nice to actually listen to it on the radio yeah I like when I first moved back um to Calgary, I could only watch maybe six or eight Canuck games a year. So a lot of that was just listening to Batch, so, sitting in my kitchen. So it was, it was nice to, it was a good reminisce moment yesterday for sure. Yeah. Um, and I mean, training camp started on Monday. Uh, there's been, I said this was the first scrimmage in the article I just dropped on Hockey Writers, but uh, it's actually the third scrimmage. I'd say this is the official. Like they did the game day skate at 10:30, and then they do the, the actual scrimmage at seven. So it felt more like the first scrimmage uh, to me. I don't know if everyone agrees with that, but uh, you know, I think it was the first scrimmage. <laughs> yeah, it definitely, it definitely. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Uh, yeah. It was really good to see some of the younger guys stick out a little more with uh, McEwen, who looks like um, might be taking. For Tannen's place, if if he keeps up on this pace, yeah. And, uh, and the thing is, McEwen is. I was saying in the article that uh, he's actually, you know, he's suited for the playoffs the way he plays, uh, just like for Tannen uh, is. But I mean, McEwen's shown it a bit more in uh, in training camp so far with his size and his uh, speed, and he scored a pretty good, nice goal yesterday as well. He did. Yeah, it was it was it was beauty just to see some highlights from. Um, even this morning watching even Chris Tanev, like I can't believe how good he was looking yesterday in the scrimmage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he showed some offensive uh, ability there, which I mean, you do we do see do see some flashes of that in his career where he does show some of that. But I mean, primarily as a defensive defenseman. But I think if he put his mind to it, he could probably do some, uh, you know, add some points to his totals as well. Oh yeah, he definitely could. It's been really good. It was he. Um, I really even enjoyed um, maybe Horvat's chirp. Let's just say that. <laughs> Let's just call it that chirp towards. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was it was good. It's definitely it feels really nice that hockey's back. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's going to be different watching the games, uh, especially with no 
uh, crowd noise. I was uh, talking earlier with uh, with Eddie from Hockey Writers in the previous segment that, uh, you know, we're looking at, you know, we could see some crowd noise maybe pumped into the arena and I don't know how that's going to sound, but, uh, you know, in the scrimmage, we can't, we heard a lot of the chirping because there is no crowd. Yeah, I, I actually think I like it more. Is that is that wrong to say? <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 every night, it'd be kind of cool to actually hear a lot of the chatter on the ice that we don't normally hear. Um, you know, it'll feel, it feels a little different then. It, it definitely does feel different. I wonder um, if you could even I, – I always thought it would be a really cool idea if they sold, like, the seats for five bucks or something, and you can – you could be one of the members in the in the crowd. You can hear your voice. I thought that'd be kind of interesting. Yeah, that'd be an interesting thing to to do. I I don't know what type of things they have planned uh, for the broadcast, especially like we haven't really heard anything about what Sportsnet's going to do um, with when they do broadcast the game. So, but I guess we'll find out pretty soon. Well, even uh, with what was happening in Edmonton yesterday with that crazy like flood, it feels like there's been all these little things that have been a step back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's and we still haven't had like there's still some players that uh you know pulled out and i mean that deadline's passed so and there won't be anyone else but i mean you got to look at hopefully some of these unfit to play uh statuses aren't covid and uh hopefully everyone's well, their regular we, hockey injuries i mean we i guess we've already seen one with um furlan so yeah, he's just yeah. unfit to play for three days and then um, he's been there the last two. Yeah, so that's a good sign. And then you look at, like, Sutter's been out now. Um, more probably to his groin issues more than, than anything. But, um, you know, he, he's, he, may not, he may not ultimately play. Um, and then you got, then you got to have, have a chance for McEwen then um, to get in that fourth line. It will it'll definitely be interesting to see what they plan on running with um, – Maybe something I tweeted out yesterday was if, like, with all these young prospects coming up, I think we're going to have to start relying more on that top nine to even do the penalty mm -hmm. kill because really that fourth line, all of, all of them were penalty killers all season. And I yeah, think I mean, and the thing is with, uh, you know, we want guys like, we want guys like Erickson and Beagle and stuff not playing, but, you know, they're penalty killers and, essentially to win in the playoffs you do need that penalty kill and like you said you, we might have to rely upon some guys to do the penalty killing if we're not going to have those guys in the lineup well I think um even well not next year but the year after when Paul Cozen when he does join like that's something I really enjoy about his game is that he's he's somebody who could be on the top line and penalty kill yeah that's for sure and um Let's uh, jump to the goaltending part of it. I mean, I, I don't want to read too much into what Markstrom's, uh, I don't know, quote-unquote struggles in the training camp so far, and he's been allowing a lot of goals, has looked a little bit frustrated with his game. Uh, do you think we should, th you know, read too much into that, or uh, is it just because it's practice and training camp? It's just training camp. I think everybody is – it's not like everybody in front of them is as good as they could be either. That's true. And – uh, I've even seen rumors of Demko being shopped too. I think that was out today. I saw an article about it to four different or four, four different trade options. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing is, is the Canucks have got to, I mean, there's a whole new topic, uh, you know, for another podcast, but 
you know, the Canucks going to have to make the, that decision on Markstrom and, you know, to re-sign him or just have Demko as the starting goaltender next year. But I said, that's a whole new conversation. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think with the fly cap it, and not really being able to add anybody, I think Demko, I think I'd rather start Demko than um, go back to Markstrom. But well, that we'll save it for a later, later yeah. day. <laughs> that, that could open a whole new can of worms. Yeah. So. <laughs> we'll tackle that in another uh, episode. Yeah. Um, let's move to, I, I really enjoyed the article you put out on Canuck Way, uh, your last article there on Will Lockwood. Very, really great deep dive on his game. And uh, I'm really excited. I've been really excited to watch him uh, make the Canucks, potentially make the Canucks next season. Uh, I'll get your thoughts on him and uh, kind of do a bit of a, uh, a little bit of play, play on that article that you wrote. Um, okay, well, yeah, let's let's talk about Lockwood. Um, I would say next year probably isn't a year that we're going to be looking for him to make the jump to the NHL. Mm -hmm. I still would like to see him probably have at least one season with Utica, just because uh, going from NCAA to a pro division is two completely different beasts. Mm -hmm. And Lockwood still has. Um, some bad tendencies I'd like to see him get rid of. I mean, I've really enjoyed watching his last two seasons uh, with Michigan, especially uh, when he was playing with Hughes. I, you could see that something I, I noticed about the Canucks this year was uh, when D-men would pinch, the coverage would kind of fall apart. And that's something Lockwood did very well when he was playing with an offensive defenseman like Hughes. Yeah, and the thing is, is Hughes opens up a lot, a lot of uh, more space for other guys to make, to, you know, to play their game, and that's that's a you know a testament to what he can do as a defenseman, and that's and that's the thing that Lockwood didn't have this past season. Oh, well, he was missing three quarters of his of his line mates, like that whole first power play unit. Uh, there was him and one other guy, I think, who who remained. And both of them were in lesser roles this year, but pretty much that whole team was freshmen. Like, and that's why I think his his point total dipped a little bit, right? Uh, just because they didn't have the same star power this year. And the thing is, is when Lockwood's going to you know ultimately make the NHL, it's going to be because, like you said in the article, because of his uh, you know his ability to forecheck. You know, a guy like like Yannick Hansen was for the Canucks in the past. Uh, you know, a guy that can actually create that space by just a heavy forecheck. Well, his heavy forecheck, his, his ability to hit effectively in all three zones without really mm. giving up too much of his positioning is um, something really to watch. Uh, I've watched him hit guys who just crossed the blue line, pick up the puck, and use another um, thing I really enjoy about him, his speed, to skate out. Right. And that's something I think is is uh, is why he's going to make the NHLs because he does so many um, little things so well. Yeah, and that's you know to be a bottom six uh, player in the NHL, you've got to have those uh, that ability to uh, do the little things right. And uh, I mean, he probably will chip in his goal, 10, 15 goals maybe. Um, and that's that's ultimately you know it's really good for where he was drafted. And, uh, you know, a guy that he's going to be that type of player that uh, will be that underrated 
guy that can go up and down the lineup like Yannick Hansen. I, I'll say Hansen again because I, I, I really see his a lot of his game in, in uh, Lockwood. I Somebody pointed out he's kind of like he – for me, he's more like Mott. Mm. He's, he's got that speed. He's got that hitting ability. Uh, I would say if, if he does make it to the NHL, he's going to need to learn to be that penalty kill role too. He, we saw a little bit when he was in Michigan, he was more of a, like that third pairing last 30 seconds. And what I liked about that was he used it um, to uh, make sure there wasn't momentum. He switched the momentum back around. Right. That was one thing I really liked about his game was he's able to create things by himself too, if, if he needs to. And and that's what's that's going to be key for him in the NHL too, and and that's why Tyler Mott is is in the NHL is because of those intangibles, those that ability to kill penalties, ability to uh, change you know change the game because of his work ethic and uh, you know his relentlessness on the puck as well. So um, yeah, that comparison to Mott is actually quite uh, quite good too. Yeah, I think. Uh... They both have one thing better. I, I like Mach shot more mm-hmm. than um, Lockwood. Lockwood is very like Lockwood likes to set up for a one timer, even five on five. Uh, he's he hangs out kind of in the bumper area where you'd see on the power play, and yeah. he finds a way to get open to to get that shot off. Or he likes to use his speed and he likes to do wraparounds. And I've seen him get nice and tight to the net and. Um, able to do some work there. And the thing I think that separates Lockwood from Mod is his, his ability to, uh, to use his hands. He's, he's, he's got a few really good moves to sneak by defenders. I've seen time and time again, him uh, pick off a long pass in the neutral zone. Yeah. Um, perform some sort of maneuver, get through three guys and skate into the offensive zone. But yeah, his, yeah, his biggest downfall is holding on after he gets on, after he gets into the offensive zone. He holds right. on to it too long and it turns into a turnover. And that's, that's what's, you know, in the NHL, you, you can't uh, hesitate at all. And I mean, you're not going to get those chances. Your time and space just gets limited. And uh you know, he's going to have to learn to, yeah, like you said, hold on. He can't be holding on to the puck too too long. Yeah, and that's why I think a year in the AHL could really do him good, just to see how much shorter the spacing is, see how much um, more talented, like, his opponents are. Yeah, and that that's what he's going to have to adjust to. And uh, But I, I'm really in, in, intrigued by uh, the future for this guy and, We'll see what what he does in the, the AHL next year, and uh, we're excited to watch watch him down there. Yeah. Or maybe just one last thing about Lockwood is, sure. um, I I think he's going to be a fan favorite because whenever he plays in rival games, that's when you notice him the most. I I remember watching um them play Penn State this last year, and I th- I think he had 15 hits in that game, huh. and every time somebody touched the puck and Mott was on the ice, he hit him after. And that's, I think that's going to be something Canucks are going to be thankful for, especially with um, other teams in our division who are looking like they're going to be rebounding pretty quick. 
yeah, uh, he's he's gonna. Yeah, I see that a lot in him too, and that's why I compare him to uh, Yannick Hansen and they say Tyler Mott, and they're both uh, fan favorites on the Canucks. So yeah, he has a lot of those aspects in his game. Yeah, he really does. Yeah, um, to go off that, another guy that uh, the Canucks signed in the off season uh, pretty recently actually was Mark Michaelis. Um, he's going to be probably in Utica next year too, but uh, he does have those abilities to actually play potentially be on the fourth line. Now, what are your thoughts on him? Exactly that. I think he already looks like a polished player, like in the NCAA. It, I would put him farther ahead um, in development compared to Lockwood. Uh, every game I've watched so far, I'd say he's won 60% of the draws. He has his ability um, to find an open man when he, when he crosses into the offensive zone. He likes to look for um, for his teammates and he's in that way he's almost like the opposite of uh, Lockwood where he he's more of a playmaker and uh, he still has that ability to forecheck and he was killing more penalties than than um, Lockwood was in in the last year of NCAA and he was nominated for the Hobie Baker Award, too, which is a pretty prestigious uh, – didn't ultimately win it, but, uh, you know, being nominated for that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, he was a finalist. I think he was top three. I'll have to go, I'll have to go double check, but um, – Yeah, I believe he, he was top three, too. I mean, and he'll sign you a guy like that again. Uh, the character aspect of uh, the intangibles that he's got, uh, Canucks seem to be pretty high on him with his character as well. Uh, and I do believe he was Drysidel's line mate uh, when yes. he used to play in yeah. Germany, and that's yeah. that's a good that's a good teammate to have. <laughs> I'll say, yeah, he put up a ton of points too, from what I uh, remember too. And I uh, I did an article back uh, when he was signed, and uh, I was looking at that, and he put up quite a few points. Oh, he yeah, <laughs> even even when he transferred, even when he was in the NCA, I I was um, looking, and there's the longest. Um, the most amount of games he won without a point was two. Oh, and like he—he's a guy who can who's put up numbers in the NCA. He he averaged about a point per game every year. He's a guy who um, has a great wrist shot. Uh, knows when he's running out of space and is able to keep the play alive. Yeah, and. Those are some reasons right now. I really, I really like him, and I really could see him pushing. Yeah, and the, the the thing is, is well, he's a centerman, and he's got that base of ability. I mean, like you tweeted before about, you know, guys, you know, as the veteran uh, contracts get moved out, Canucks are going to have to start supplanting the them with some cheaper contracts rather than the Jay Beagle uh, three and a half million. And, you know, guys like that on the fourth line and put it like a Mark Michaelis in there rather than him. Well, I think that's when, like, if you look who's coming, uh, we have Hoglander, we have Paul Kozin, uh, Lind, uh, Lockwood, and Michaelis, who that's that's five guys on your team. Like, and yeah. you have to think Zach McEwen's not going to be that expensive. So that's, that's uh, six guys in the next three years who are going to be fairly cheap on your payroll. And I think that's when we'll have that opportunity to go get that other defenseman that we're lacking. 
Yeah. And that, that's, and that's the thing. That's how the good teams keep going is to be able to pull the, the young guys into the lineup without having to sign these high contracts with these depth players. And the Canucks have got to start doing that rather than signing like nothing against Jay Beagle, but I mean, signing, you know, guys and having the cap space to, you know, re-sign Quinn Hughes and re-sign Elias Patterson because they're not going to be cheap. Well, they're definitely not going to, that's pretty much all the cap space coming off the books next year. Yeah. And that's very true. (laughs) We were fortunate um, that Rathbone signed. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about Jack Rathbone for a bit there. I mean, there was up in the air uh, if he was going to sign in the three-day window here and ultimately got done. And that's a testament to the relationship that uh, he had with the Canucks. And, I mean, when you have Chris, you know, Chris Higgins and uh, Ryan Johnson there, and they seem to have a really good relationship with him. That's why he ultimately signed. Yeah, and... And I think if without COVID, I don't think he would sign. I, he's a guy who played that extra year to mm-hmm. stay home. He's a guy who would, who would do that again. Yeah, yeah. COVID did really, uh, you know, put that that one you know, good change that right. Yeah, it really did. And for me, uh, this guy's potential. I I could see him playing in that top four spot at the end of next season. And that's, I mean, for a fourth-round pick and, you know, looking at him now, he's, you know, arguably the number one defensive prospect on the Canucks. And that's in in amongst guys, first-round picks like uh, like Yulevi and second-round pick in Jet Wu, and he's above them. I don't know if anyone could have said that when he was drafted. Uh, I don't think so either, but uh, development isn't really a, uh, just something that grows continuously. It has its ups and downs. And, uh, I I thought after last year when they lost Fox as his defensive partner, yeah, I I wrote an article that summer. I said I'd be happy if he just stayed with the same amount of points if he just found a way to break even. But uh, he actually did better this year. Yeah, uh, he got a lot more assists. Um, I mean, the goals I think was the same, uh, yeah. but uh, his assists like went quite a bit up and. He took over that. I'd say he was probably the number one defenseman on uh, Harvard there, and he sure showed it almost every clip you see of him. If you go into more of his statistics with his entries, I mean, he never dumps the puck in. He always either carries it in or passes it in. So that's something that they, you know, is very key in the NHL right now. Well, it's it's very interesting um, how people talk about our window opening right now for the Canucks. And I, I still think we're a few years away. I think mm-hmm. um, when when you see somebody like Wu join the team, that's, I think, where we're going to be close because Wu's probably two years away. Yeah. And once once he actually makes the team, uh, we're gonna, I think that's when our, our true window opens. That's when we're going to be um, like cup contenders. Yeah. And you look at the the guys that are coming up, like the you know Pod Coles and Hoglander, um, the development of Pedersen and Hughes, and you know in a few years they're going to be in their quote unquote prime years, and you know they're ready good now. What what are they going to be when they are in the twenty four twenty five uh, you know year range? 
Well, it's, even if I was saying um, to somebody earlier, so even if we don't re-sign Tivoli, let's just say, yeah, in in two years our top six is Pedersen, Paul Cozen, Besser, Miller, Horvat, and Hoglander. Yeah, like that's a pretty good top <laughs> six. Like I'll say, <laughs> like um, our, our offense is not going to be an issue for the Canucks soon. No, and that's the thing. And the one thing about – and the Canucks, I mean, their offense is pretty good. Uh, you know, you go into their – it's their defense that needs – you know, you're looking at the veterans that are could be coming out soon is uh, Edler, Tanev. I mean, Myers is still relatively in the range where he's still pretty young. But, uh, you know, the Canucks are going to have to have those young guys come up. And, you know, you look at Rathlin, that's why it was such a key thing to sign him, right? Yeah, it definitely was. I think our defense core um, will get younger. I think uh, Wu has the potential to be that fourth defenseman. I, I did a big article about him right before I did um, Lockwood. And watching his year in Calgary uh, was was interesting because he still managed to – He had that was the year he had the most shots. He had um, statistically about two – over two a game. Mm-hmm. He his shooting percentage dropped from almost eleven percent down to four. Like that's a big reason why you saw his point total drop a little bit. Yeah. The other reason was when he was with uh, Moose Jaw, he had thirty three secondary assists on the power play. Oh, there you go. So that was that was the big kicker. Like he he is a really good defenseman. I think next year. Uh, if he gets played with someone like um, Sautner, you can you might see that offensive flair because in Calgary he couldn't play that same offensive style because there was no one else really with him there. And that that's true. I mean, I was looking into his game, uh, you know, earlier too, and he's had his, a role change when he went to uh, Calgary as well, and. Like he wasn't relied upon to be that offensive uh, catalyst. He was more that defensive-minded uh, guy. Well, it was it was crazy to even yeah. His first three months there, it didn't look very good. But after that, once December hit, he was it was unbelievable. And uh, something that was crazy is January. I think they had uh, ten games, and he had twenty nine shots, but he had zero goals. Huh. Like that's. For somebody who who tends to to score a little more than that, with when you get that much when you get that much off, yeah. Uh, but I think also he wasn't able to uh, pinch down as far as he did in Moose Jaw. Uh, so, like I said, it'll be interesting to see who he gets paired with in Utica, and I think with Raf- Rafferty's um, looking pretty good at yeah staying up with the with the team. So that opens up that spot for a while. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be, again, it's not just going to be interesting for the Canucks next season of what guys make the team, what Utica is going to look like uh, down the road uh, next season. If ultimately there is an AHL season, that's still up in the air. But uh, yeah, it's going to be, be interesting to see the new players that are going to get up in there because you look at uh, Berchi, Goldobin, uh Boucher, they're not going to be there next season. 
Well, there's lots of RFAs um, just for Utica. Like, yeah, it it definitely will be interesting. Um, I uh, I read one. Um, I read uh, Faber's um, article about Lind. Yeah, and uh, and I agreed. It said in there like next year he's gonna he'll be one of the guys that they're gonna have to look to in the room. So like I hope he's ready to step up, and that's that's another guy I think next year will be ready to kind of make that jump closer to the end. Yeah, Poland is. I've always been excited to see him in the NHL, and I'm glad that he's kind of turned his game around from that awful first season that he had. But uh, you know, he he had a heck of a season this past one, and yeah, he's gonna be an interesting and a very exciting player to watch too. Well, he was, he's never had a good first season. Every time he's, yeah, he's upgraded his, his league. It takes him about a year to figure things out. And then after that, he, he has that confidence level. And then you start to see him play um, his game. Like uh, something that I would like to see from him next year is um, I always, when I was watching him in Kelowna, I, I really enjoyed his, his slap shot, his one-timer. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. really. He, you don't. You don't really see that in Utica, but it. He's got quite a bomb. Like if if they could figure out a way for him to um, set up on the the power play with that. But yeah, is he is he a right hand shot or is he left? He's right too. He's right hand. Yeah, so we, we are we're crowded with <laughs> right wingers. It's which is another interesting thing about. Um, why they even decided to go after Toffoli, I think. Yeah. Because, you know, you gave up the Canucks' best center prospect, hands down. Yeah, yeah. And, and a second round for a guy where we were on a – especially on a team where we're going to be crowded in the next two to three years, if only Lind uh, <laughs> is, is able to. Not – not to mention somebody like Lockwood or uh, Puck Tolson too. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it is a crowded right side. That's for sure. And, uh, and centermen, that's why the Canucks need to be going after a center. If they, you know, get the first round pick back or even in the third round, there's some good centermen down there and they do need to uh, increase that depth down there. Yeah, they do. I mean, um, they have it i guess it kind of depends what happens next year cuz uh um Cosmar, he he's looking pretty good he went from he played some SAHL games near the end of his yeah. season um folk from Calgary too like if i don't know what's i don't know what's going on with him cuz he hasn't signed a contract yet so and he's 20 so I think he can. I think he's eligible for one more year in the W. But after that, I'm not really sure what they're going to do with him. Yeah. So, and yeah, they got to do something with a few of their prospects to till to sign them too. So uh, yeah, it's it. One thing Benning's got, he's got a pretty full uh, card when he's <laughs> working this offseason. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it, it will be interesting to see how they're going to deal with this cap space. It's going to be interesting to see um, with COVID where people, where everyone's going to be playing. Oh, that's the thing too. Yeah. And uh, what to do with, with all your prospects for next year that we're going to be in Utica. 
that. Yeah, it, it's it's like I said, the word of the day is unprecedented, and everything's unprecedented right now. It is. So, it is for sure. Yeah. Um. So I mean, to finish up, uh, we haven't really talked about the qualifying round yet, and that could be again another whole segment. Uh, but uh, just for final thoughts on how the Canucks match up with the Wild and uh, where do you think the Canucks will come out of that? I think the Canucks will win it in four to five games. I think a big part is going to be that first goal. So Minnesota is really good at the trapping counter. Mm-hmm. And if Canucks fall behind, um, that's something they haven't really had success defending this year. Um, you can see clips of uh, how it worked with Dallas. In those games in December, it didn't quite work out. So um, I think the key is going to be getting that first goal and making them play Canuck style. Yeah, and that's the thing. And goaltending is going to be a huge one in this series too. Like Markstrom can play the way he has all season. Uh, Canucks definitely have the edge there. And their offense in the top six, they probably have a way better top six in Minnesota too. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think it's it's going to be interesting with the defense. Um, something that they that they worked on for training camp was their defense structure, because um, like that's something that was a big issue this year too. Um, I feel like we've upgraded our defense, but we're still bleeding the same amount of goals. That's yeah, and that's so, going to be something that needs to change for the playoffs. That's for sure. And it's good that Green does has identified that as a problem, which which is good. It is good, but I, now it's time it's time to figure it out because um, if you look at this year, our scoring way up, our power play um, definitely because of Hughes a million yeah. times better. The only thing that stayed the same. In, in all the categories, the only thing that stayed the same was um, our, our goals against. Yeah. Which and is... that, that, <laughs> that was like a head scratcher because um, even if you don't like the Meyer signing, he's, he's definitely a better d- defenseman than Gabranson. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and that, so for me, it's, it's a, it was confusing. Um, yeah. Trying to figure out what's going on there. But I do think... Um, the other interesting thing will be what um, Dubnik's like. Oh, had, that's true. Had too. an off year, but if he figures out his game in this qualifying round, like that's that's a game changer too. That that's very true. I mean, that's what's different about these playoffs is it's gonna it's different for everywhere, and that's why you're, we're gonna see some upsets. We're gonna see some different results than we're normally used to. Yeah, I. I think the my upset team is going to be Florida over the Islanders. Huh. Yeah, that's, and that's the thing. Bobrovsky can actually, you know, get his head on straight. Uh, Florida definitely has a better goaltending. Well, Florida's offense is ridiculous. That too. <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, their problem was was the same as the Canucks. They bleed more goals than they can score. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it's going to be totally. A, you know, interesting. It'll be fun to actually watch some hockey again, even if there is no fans in the stands, but we can still watch uh, watch some good hockey. I'll take anything, anything right now. Scrimmage <laughs> was so much fun. That's Watching true. All yeah. the, um, NCA games has been so much fun. I'm I'm actually becoming a huge fan of um, just the way that their style and 
Um, if one thing I think NHL should look at is um, their hits from behind. If you look at it at the NCA, mm-hmm. if, even if it was an accidental hit, a lot of the times it's still a major penalty with a um, game misconduct. Yeah. And I think it's yeah. something that's, that's where the NHL kind of needs to go. Yeah, that's true. Um, Zach, yeah, Thomas, it's great to talk with you with the uh, prospects of uh, ML. It's going to be very exciting to watch them coming up. And, uh, and I'll just give you the floor for any upcoming articles you got uh, coming up, and uh, I'll just let you uh, take that away. All right, perfect. Um, so like, like I've been talking, like we talked about a little bit, I'm, I'm doing one on Michaelis right now. And as soon as I'm done with him, um, I, I have, I'm going to be, I'm kind of going through Rathbone right now too. So I'm simultaneously switching back and forth between um, Harvard and uh, Minnesota, but those are my, those are my next two big ones. Nice. I'm uh, looking forward to that. Um, yeah. Thanks uh, Thomas for, for joining me on the podcast. I uh, hope to have you on again and uh, you can follow Thomas at uh, on Twitter at the right start. And uh, he only has 92 followers. I'm not sure why. <laughs> should have a lot more um so give him a follow and uh you can read his uh, stuff of course on the canuck way and uh yeah thanks thomas for joining me and uh, hope you will be on again soon perfect thanks thanks again matt i really appreciate um my debut for your podcast and thanks to all my guests uh brendan bachelor from sportsman 650 thomas anderson from the canuck way and eddie jones from the hockey writers it was great talking canucks and uh nhl draft and uh hockey in general with you guys because uh you know we need to talk hockey (laughs) it's been a while and the off season has really been bad even though it wasn't supposed to be an off season uh we're gonna have to deal with this again after the playoffs but you know hockey's back and that's what we really care about so it was great having them on the show and uh you know stay tuned to next stay tuned next week we'll have another slate of great guests uh still in the works here probably going to have uh trying to get someone from the minnesota wild um hockey writers team to talk uh the series and see what their perspective is and what's happening there and then another canucks writer or uh canucks uh fans on twitter um it's great to have uh, anyone's conversation anyone's voice uh, we want to kind of bring out in this podcast space so um it's going to be another great conversation another great week of canucks training camp gearing up for uh the next uh hockey is going to be played which will be the exhibition game on july 29th uh, against the winnipeg jets so uh, it's going to be great to actually watch um some hockey on tv and uh, the scrimmages have been uh, kind of broadcast on twitter uh, from far homology a bit but, I mean, it's never the real thing um, to watch hockey on TV with uh, with the commentators, who will be Chris Cuthbert for the Canucks, which is great to have him as a play-by-play guy. Um, haven't heard him on uh, mainstream network in a long time and really love his commentary. So it's going to be great to have him uh, call some Canuck games again. Remember the Mac Cook uh, <laughs> call that he had? So uh, it's going to be great to actually have some playoff hockey with him um, doing the play-by-play, so that's going to be something exciting to uh, look forward to. And uh, I was also happy to announce that uh, Canucks and Pucks is now part of the Hockey Writers Podcast Network, a uh, network of great podcasts from the Hockey Writers, uh, writers over there, and uh, we'll be featuring, uh, you know, Hockey Writers articles, and of course we have a, a guest every week 
from the hockey writers uh, from any NHL team, Canucks and other teams out there. Uh, probably will have someone from the junior leagues as well, uh, the AHL, uh, the AHL, WHL, uh, OHLQ, and the Q. Um, hope even to get maybe some BCHL uh, coverage too, uh, guys on there. So that's going to be great coming up. Uh, some exciting things in the works for the podcast. And uh, hopefully everyone is enjoying tuning in. And uh, thank you for listening. And hopefully we'll be talking more Canucks every week. Not about off-season stuff. Not about cap issues. But playoff hockey, which is just the exciting part of the hockey we haven't had in a long time. So uh, stay tuned for everything. And thank you for listening. Thank you for following. And as they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. Across, LeBec is robbed by Markstrom. Sprawling save, stacked the pads, and stuck the left leg up in the air to kick it out. Old school goaltending. We got some old school goaltending from Jacob Markstrom. Fade.